good morning again and welcome to Cornerstone. Uh, again, as you're finding your seats, make sure you've got a growth guide so you can follow along. And at Cornerstone, we inspire and equip people to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, knowing that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. Some of you will be watching and listening online or on demand, and so welcome. There'll be some of you who are watching in a coming Sunday morning online, so welcome to those of you who are watching together online, and welcome to all of you who are on site. That's, that's welcome to all of you who are on site. Yeah, okay. Yes. Um, sometimes it's hard to remember you're not watching TV anymore, right? So uh, I'm glad that you are here. And if you're new here, we would especially like to welcome you, whether you're listening or watching online or right here in person. And we would love to be able to welcome you personally and to stay in touch with you. And the easiest way to do that is to text the word new to our church number, 603-225-2550. Today we are continuing our series in the Psalms. And I'm, I'm usually pretty excited about sharing what I have to share with you. But I have to tell you, after that song set, I was like chomping at the bit to get up here. I was almost going to elbow you off the stage so I could get up here and start speaking. Uh, but I, I controlled myself, and uh, self-control is the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, so here I am. But I am excited about sharing this message with you. I've called it CPA. Now, CPA in this context does not stand for Certified Public Accountants. It does not stand for, I actually Googled it, there are probably about three dozen things that it stands for. It's not the Canadian Psychi Psychiatric Association. It's not... Uh, any of those, and I'll tell you what it is in just a minute, but it is the answer to this question, and that is, what's the right thing to do when everything is going wrong? Have you ever had a day, a month, a year, a season in your life where it seems like everything is going wrong? wrong have you ever turned on the television and watched the news and thought it seems like everything is going wrong so the question is what do we do and today we're talking about our response our response when things are not going well and really if you think about the the core message of of the gospel is the answer to this question because we all have this sense that things are not as they should be certainly not as good as they could be and the gospel is that god agrees and sent his son in order to intervene in our world and to set things right and he invites us into that process so what is the correct the right thing to do the right response when it seems like everything is going wrong and in the psalms we see a lot of people expressing that sense of frustration that sense that things are not as they should be and god why don't you do something about it and it seems like sometimes and this is where we see the the psalmist being very real and authentic and in by implication giving us the permission to be real and authentic with each other and also with God and um, and in these Psalms that we're gonna look at today we see that frustration with God's silence and his inactivity and what we see 
is a model for responding to when things go wrong in our world. And so the bottom line for today is this, to let God silence his inactivity, his seeming uncaring about what is going wrong, prompt you to what I'm calling CPA prayers. And CPA, I will explain as we go through it. But this one psalm, the first one that we're going to look at, is actually a model for prayer. And we've seen that before, how the psalms are prayers that are prayed individually and also serve as a model for corporate prayer as well. And this 13th psalm that we'll look at first is actually a model for that kind of petition prayer. And then I'm going to challenge you to, based on this kind of prayer, and particular the A in CPA, to voice your affirmation daily this week. It's going to lead you, these psalms, these prayers, are going to lead you to a conclusion, to an affirmation. And I'm going to challenge you to just make that affirmation on a daily basis in the coming week. So let's look at it together. We're looking at two psalms. They're relatively short, Psalm 13 and Psalm 11 today. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. That's the same translation as the Burgundy Bibles that are on your tables if you want to follow along. And there's a reason why I'm going from 13 to 11. It'll make more sense as we read. But let's, let's read together. Chapter 13 of the Psalms, verse 1. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Chapter 11, Psalm 11, verse 1. I trust in the Lord for protection. So why do you say to me, fly like a bird to the mountains for safety? The wicked are stringing their bows and fitting their arrows on the bowstrings. They shoot from the shadows at, all, at those whose hearts are right. The foundations of law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous do? But the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord still rules from heaven. He watches everyone closely, examining every person on earth. The Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. He hates those who love violence. He will rain down blazing coals and burning sulfur on the wicked, punishing them with scorching winds. For the righteous Lord loves justice. The virtuous will see his face. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, just to cut to the chase, as they do so often at the beginning of the Psalms, we are thankful that you are an active and living God, that you 
seeing that the world is not as it should be, intervened and sent your son to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven of our past and that a new future could be written, a new end to each of our stories. So Lord, I thank you for that. And I want to pray specifically for people who are feeling hopeless, who are sorrowful, who are suffering, who are tempted to think that you are silent, uncaring, and uninvolved. And I pray, Lord, that through our looking at your word today, that you would encourage their hearts, that you would give them perseverance, strength, faith, hope that is anchored and rooted in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's look first at Psalm 13, which, like I said, is, serves as kind of a model prayer for what to do when things are not going right. And what we're going to do is let God's seeming silence and act, inactivity prompt us to pray these model prayers. So what is CPA? Let's start with the C. You see in the first part of the psalm, the psalmist making his complaint. He makes his complaint. And so it starts out with the question, how long? It's an anguished cry because it seems like God is inactive and uncaring. How long will you forget me? Have you ever felt like God has forgotten you? Is it going to be forever? How long will you look the other way? That's the idea of when you turn your face towards someone, you're paying attention to them. You're giving them your attention. You're involved and active in that relationship. But if you turn your back on someone, if you look away, that's a symbol of uncaring and uninvolvement. And that's what the psalmist is saying. It feels like, God, you've turned your back on me. How long are you going to show me the back of your head, is the way the message translation puts it. And he goes on. There's not only this sense that there's something broken in the relationship with my heavenly father, but, but I'm struggling on the inside as well. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts I, I, have you ever wrestled with your thoughts, wondering and, 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 and wondering and not having an answer and not, not seeing clear, clearly? He's like, this, this is going on. And how long, day after day, I have this sorrow in my heart. So it's not only a question about relationship with your Heavenly Father, it's also inner turmoil and anguish, answers that are not coming and things that are keeping you up at night. But then there's also problems on the outside, horizontally with others, with relationships. How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Now, it doesn't seem like that often that we think about ourselves having enemies, but, but there are some people who are not necessarily your friends, who are going to do things that are not necessarily beneficial and good or fair to you. And when you're in that situation, you cry out to the Lord and you want him to intervene. You want him to make things right. You want him to protect you. And what the psalmist is saying is this is happening and nothing's happening here. 
How long, O Lord, is the enemy going to have the upper hand? The psalmist is making his complaint. And that's been a big theme of this series, hasn't it? That um, now, obviously, the God is not uninterested. God is not unloving. God is not going to let evil go unpunished. But the psalmist feels like that's the case. And he's honest about that before God. And a big part of this whole series has been encouraging us that it's actually okay to be honest with God. I mean, it's not going to be a surprise to him if you pray and express how you're really feeling. He kind of already knows. So why hide it? Why pretend like you've got it all together and you've got it all figured out and everything is cool and you never have a question and you never have a problem? That's just not real. And sometimes it's, it's just part of confession. This, this, this complaint is just saying, Lord, this is how I'm feeling. This, I, I, know, I, I, might not, I might know it's not right, but this is how I'm feeling. This is how I'm thinking about the situation. And I was reminded this week that in 1 John 1, 9, it talks about how we confess our sins, and then he's faithful to, cleanse, to, to forgive us and cleanse us. So I wonder if sometimes making our complaint to God, just being honest with God about how we feel, the questions that we have, isn't uh, kind of like that. Confession. And it gives the Lord an opportunity to cleanse us, to forgive us, to get us past it. But if we hold back and we don't make our complaint and we just shove it down, we never really bring it into the light and it never gets dealt with. So I think a big part of the encouragement throughout the Psalms is to bring your complaint to God, to just be honest about it. So when God's silence and inactivity seems so deafening, Bring your complaint to God. Start there and then go on to the P. The P is presenting your petition. So we make our complaint. We're honest with God about what's going on. And then we present our petition. And that's what we see happening in the next part of Psalm 13. God, uh, the, the psalmist says to the Lord, turn and answer me, Lord. Give me an answer. Show, show, show you're alive. Show you're out there. Show that you care. Turn to me. Remember we said it feels like God has turned his back on us. So God, turn around and, and show me your face. Show me that you are interested and active in my life. The second part of, the, of that um, line says, restore the sparkle to my eyes. And this is a combination of the NLT and the NIV. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will sleep in death. You ever seen somebody or maybe looked in the mirror and seen somebody that it just seems like they're dead? You know, there's just a, all the life has drained out of their eyes. And then he's saying, that, that's, that's what I'm feeling like right now. It's like, you know, if you don't act, I'm going to go to sleep and I'm not going to wake up. You know, it's, it's that serious. I, I, if God doesn't intervene, I'm sunk. And, and I need you to, to, to turn your face towards me and to restore the sparkle in my eyes. Give me life again. So he's saying, I, I wanted you to fix this so that I know that you're there and I know that you care and I know that you're active. I want you to fix this so that there's not darkness in my eyes, that there's, there's light and hope 
in me. And then I also need you to fix this, these people out there as well. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Don't, don't let the bad guys win. Help me out here. I need you. So do you see how he's taken all of his complaints and then turned them around into petitions? I need you to fix this. I need you to fix this. And I need you to fix this too. So what, what's the pattern? Be honest with God. Tell him your complaints. Tell him what you see that is not right. And then ask him to fix those things. Put your petition out there. And then this is an interesting part. It concludes with the A. And this is an important part to get to. The last part of Psalm 13, the psalmist is voicing his affirmation. Voicing his affirmation. He's, it, you almost get the sense that he's still in the thick of it. You know, he's, he, he's complained, he's petitioned God, but, but, but nothing has really happened yet. He's still in the midst of it. He's still in this prayer. And, but yet, he's going to, like, dig down deep and say, but there are certain things that I know that are true. And, and I'm just going to say them even though if I don't feel them, if I don't see, what's, see it happening right now. We've talked before about how our circumstances lie to us, our feelings are fickle, our understanding is lacking. But he's saying, in light of all of those things, I'm still going to just state what I know to be true. I'm going to voice my affirmation. So how does this psalm end? But I trust your unfailing love, your unfailing love, that covenant love that you're going to be there for me no matter what, I trust that that's the case. I don't see it yet. I don't feel it yet necessarily, but I'm going to trust that that's the case. And he's voicing that affirmation, that statement of faith. And then he goes on to say, my heart rejoices in your salvation. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Uh, another translation says, I, I'm going to thank you for your rescue of me. And, and it's interesting because we don't get the sense that necessarily he's been rescued yet. I mean, it's, it's still happening. He's still in the thick of it, but he's voicing his affirmation. He's stating his faith. He's going to give voice to what he knows to be true and what he believes to be true, even if he hasn't seen it yet. My heart is going to rejoice in salvation. I noticed um, reading through Exodus where, the, where Moses is leading the people of Israel out of um, slavery, and they come to the Red Sea, and they are between a rock and a hard place. They've got an uncrossable sea in front of them. They've got the armies of Egypt behind them, and what do they do? They start complaining to Moses, why did you bring us out here? Uh, it, were there not enough graves in Egypt? You know, you had to bring us out here to die in the wilderness. And they're, they're just complaining and they're arguing. You know the story. Moses cries out to God. God says, put the staff down. The sea parts. They cross over and they get to the other side. The armies of Egypt follow them into the parted sea. And then the sea departs. 
and returns, and they are swamped. And what happens on the other side? Now, the people of Israel, they're writing songs, they're dancing, they're having a party. What changed between that side of the river, of the sea, and this side of the river? From God's perspective. Just about nothing. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, were, were they in any real danger here? When they were complaining and arguing and bitter? No. When they were celebrating, had their situation? No, they just saw it. They just understood it differently. And ever since I noticed that, it's been a challenge to myself to sing the songs of deliverance on this side of the Red Sea. Because your situation hasn't changed you are going to be delivered. You are going to be rescued. You are okay. So there's no reason not to sing the songs of deliverance on this side of the Red Sea. And I think that's what we see the psalmist doing at the end of Psalm 13. He's saying, I don't, I'm here. I don't see it yet. I got the armies of Egypt coming at me. I got an impassable flood in front of me but i believe somehow i'm going to end up here because of who you are your lord wants to rescue you and if you have any doubt about that you have only to look to the cross when he looked and saw you in your desperate state far from god in rebellion to god he sent his son he made a way for you to be forgiven and to walk into forgiveness and new life and a new hope and a new end to your story. He said, I'm going to forget and pay about the past. I'm going to pay your debt and I'm going to write a new ending to your story with me in this life and for life eternal the rescue the salvation is there and we rejoice in it so that's kind of the starting point and every every time i speak i give you this opportunity are you which side of the sea are you on have you said yes to jesus and accepted his forgiveness and deliverance are you rejoicing in his salvation if not now is the time to do that it, it, it's time to say yes yes to the forgiveness that he purchased for you on the cross Yes, to his lordship and leadership in your life so that you do experience that new ending to the story that he wants to write for you. And that's what we see the psalmist doing, saying, I'm going to rejoice in the rescue and the salvation that you have provided. And then he goes on to say, I will sing the Lord's praises for he has been good to me. We sang that song about the goodness of God earlier today. I love that. It's actually, I think, from Psalm 23 that we looked at a, a couple of weeks ago where God is the, the portrayed as the good shepherd who cares for, protects, watches over his flock, and even prepares a table, prepares food, prepares them for them to be able to relax and chill and have a feast in the presence of their enemies and then it ends with, for surely mercy and goodness, your loving faithfulness, your kindness, 
is going to chase me down all the days of my life. And I love the picture because most sheep are being chased down by enemies, by wolves, and they're in danger. And he said, but when you're part of the Lord's flock, it's goodness that chases you down. That's a good deal. And so he says, I will sing the Lord's praises for he has been good to me. What do we see the psalmist doing? We see the psalmist complaining to God, being honest about where he is and what he's experiencing. We see him turning those complaints into petitions, and then we see him affirming the goodness of God. Even if he doesn't see it yet, even if he doesn't feel it yet, he's going to give voice to his faith. And I see, and this is how I'll bring it to a close, and we'll kind of go through the second psalm pretty quickly. I see two aspects to that affirmation. What do we see? We see him expressing his trust in the Lord. So this is one of the affirmations that I want to encourage you to make this week. Even if you don't feel it, even if you don't have all your questions answered, you don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have it all figured out. You don't necessarily see the answers to your prayers yet. But what did the psalmist do? He said, I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord. Let's, let's all just, this is, you're going to check off Sunday because we're going to do it right here. Uh, say, I trust the Lord. Okay, that was good. That was with feeling. Even with some of you, you're probably like, I'm not sure, but okay. Uh, yeah, that was good. That's good. Let's say it again. I trust the Lord. That's the affirmation that he is making. Now, in Psalm 13, that, one of the things that was pointed out, I really appreciate it, is in Psalm 11, it's very personal. It, a lot of these psalms are corporate. You know, it's like, we together as the people of God. This is like me. I'm struggling. I need help. You know, God, right here. Uh, draw a circle. This is, this, is where, this is where I need you to intervene right now. Uh, and it, it's very personalized. In Psalm 11, it broadens the circle. Say, you know, my life has not been going so great, but the world, the, the, the whole kit and caboodle is in trouble, and I need your help, Lord. So it's uh, expressing that trust, not just in the personal sense, but in the corporate and in the broader and in the worldwide sense as well. So what in Psalm 11 is the psalmist observing? Well, things are not going well in Psalm 11 either. Here's what's happening. The wicked are stringing their bows and fitting their arrows on bowstrings. If you want to modernize that a little bit, it's like the bad guys are stocking up on weapons and ammunition. It's not looking good. And what's going to happen? Well, they're gonna, they shoot from the shadows at those whose hearts are right. The people that are trying to do a good job, the people that are trying to do the right thing, the, 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 the others are literally taking pot shots at them from the shadows. It's not a good situation. And he moves from that example to the broader world and makes this unbelievable uh, unbelievably sad, unbelievably hopeless statement. The foundations of law and order have collapsed. The foundations. You know, the things that we build are, the law and order is a New Living Translation interpolation to help explain it, but it just literally says the foundations have collapsed. There, uh, there's, there's, nothing that, there's nothing solid to build our lives on right now because the whole world is shaking and eroding the ground is slipping out from underneath us i told you that um 
the Interpretation Psalms book, which I've referenced multiple times, has been a great resource for this. I was encouraged because I found out some of you, at least one of you, have purchased this and is following along, so that's great. Uh, the author, James Mays, talks about this idea of foundations. Here's what he says. This is in your growth guides as well. Foundations translates a Hebrew word that occurs only in this psalm. Analogous texts suggest that the term is a metaphor for the basis of common life and social order. In other words, in order for people in, in, a, in a culture, in a country, in a region, in a, in a community to get together, there has to be some, some agreed upon basis of common life and social order. And what the psalmist is saying is, we, we don't even have that anymore. We don't agree on anything. We don't see things the same way. We can't even we can't even agree on what is basic, normal, appropriate behavior. The foundations are being eroded from underneath us. He goes on to say, it is characteristic of the wicked in the Psalms, and we've talked about how uh, there's the righteous and the wicked, and there are several different ways that the people are described, these two opposing sides in the Psalms. It says, this is, this is what it's like for the wicked in the Psalms. They oppose and subvert the practice of righteousness. What is righteousness? It's doing the right thing, particularly in relationship with others, making sure that we have good relationships, we're treating others well. And he says the, the characteristic of the wicked in the Psalms is to oppose and subvert the practice of righteousness, the conduct that create, creates shalom or peace or wholeness. He's like, this is what's happening in our world. You know, I look around, nobody agrees on what's right. Nobody is doing the right thing. Nobody cares about their fellow man. And so it feels like the whole foundation is shaking. The, we need that foundation in order to have peace, in order to have wholeness, but it's eroding away from under us. And to sum it up, the, uh, the commentary author says this, when there's no generally accepted ethos at the foundation of a society, violence and injustice prevail. I feel like I should put this disclaimer. Any, any similarities to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. You know, can you relate to what is going on in this psalm? Does it sound a little bit familiar to you at all? Has the world really changed all that much? And so the psalmist looking around and seeing all of this violence and evil and injustice and how we don't even agree on what's right and just anymore, the foundations of law and order have collapsed. The question is asked, what can the righteous do? What do we do in a situation like that? Now, rewind the psalm to the very beginning, the very first verse, and it provides two alternative approaches when the whole world is falling apart. In Psalm 11, 1, it says, I trust in the Lord for protection. That's the psalmist affirming his trust in the Lord. So why, why do you say to me, fly like a bird to the mountains for safety? It's like, okay, I trust the Lord. So even though the foundations are being destroyed, even though evil people are out there and stocking up on weapons and ammunition, even though I got to be careful of who's hiding in the shadows, I trust the Lord for protection. 
So why do you say to me, fly like a bird to the mountains for safety? I, I don't have to run away and I don't have to fear because I trust the Lord for protection. That's his affirmation of his faith. Again, James Mays in the interpretation commentary, the quotation as a whole poses an option for conduct in a troubled and in troubled and anarchist time. So he's saying that what the psalm is doing is presenting two different options to you for how you respond when things are not going well in the world. One is to just flee, fly to the mountains like a bird, to pull back, to not engage, to not be involved. The way he puts it, to desert public space, uh, to just pull out, not be involved, not be concerned, and, and, and that's not a good option. But uh, there's, an, there's another option that is presented as a temptation. Uh, abandoned social action responsible to the rules of righteousness. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, I had to read that a couple of times to figure out what he was actually saying there. But, but here's how I understand it. There, there are two, two ways that you can respond wrongly, improperly, unhealthily to the world going, uh, going downhill. You can just kind of pull out and have your holy huddle and, and not care and not be engaged. Or you can say, look, everybody's, everybody's gathering up guns. I should gather up guns. Everybody is kind of cutting corners ethically. Nobody agrees what's right or wrong. I, you know, I, the ends justify the means. Whatever it takes to, do a good, to, to get to a good end, then you just justify that. It's okay because it, it doesn't matter if what I do isn't exactly right because I have good motives and I want a right outcome. These are the twin temptations when the foundations are eroding from under you to desert the public space or to abandon social action responsible to the rules of righteousness. I don't have to be righteous anymore. But the rest of this psalm provides an alternative answer. James Mays continues, the rest of the psalm states another answer to the question, what can the righteous do? What can the righteous do when the wicked are powerful and the basis of life are undercut? They can hold to the vision of the Lord as a righteous judge and make the Lord the foundation of their life. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to withdraw and just say, forget it, I don't care. You don't have to adopt evil in order to try to make good. You can say, Lord, I'm gonna trust the Lord. I'm gonna focus my attention on the Lord. I'm gonna do things his way and I'm gonna trust him to act in his own way and in his time as well. So, after asking this question in Psalm 11, the psalmist says, okay, this, this, is, this is what I'm saying. What can the righteous do? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. The Lord, I'm going to remind myself and remind you, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord still rules from heaven. Even despite what you see around you in your world, I affirm that God is in control he is on his throne. He is ruling and he will make things right. You might remember from the, the um, uh, Bible Project video from last week that I showed you about the, about the Psalms, that the Psalms are being collected and published for while the people are in exile. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. That 
is a radical statement because you know what happened to the temple when this when this was published the temple had been destroyed it had been burned to the ground it had been wiped off the face of the earth the people are living in exile and yet the psalmist says i don't care what happened to that building in jerusalem the lord is in his holy temple and he still rules from heaven i trust god he is still ruling i don't care what is happening in the world i can trust the lord and you know what else he's not going to let injustice prevail the lord examines both the righteous and the wicked you're tempted to adopt the enemy's tactics to accomplish the lord's purposes no 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 the Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. He hates those who love violence. God hates people. No, what he's saying is, I hate violence. I hate destroying one another. I, that is not my way of accomplishing my purposes. And so when you adopt those ways, you're, you're, you're crossing over. And I'm going to examine that. I'm going to examine both the righteous and the wicked. Make sure you're on the right line, on the right side of that line, because there's no exceptions just because the foundations are being eroded. The Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. He hates those who love violence, and he's going. There's going to be consequences. He, the way, remember, we're we're in the Psalms. This is poetic language. Does this necessarily mean? I I, I don't know what it means exactly. Literally, it's poetic language, but it doesn't sound good. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that. He will rain down blazing coals and burning sulfur on the wicked, punishing them with scorching winds. It was hot here, you know, over the last couple of weeks. I don't want more of that. I don't want more of that. And I don't think you do either. For the righteous Lord loves justice, and it's the virtuous who will see his face. So what has the psalmist been doing? He's been affirming, I trust the Lord. I know the Lord is good. I know the Lord is righteous. I know that he's powerful. I know that he will not let sin go unpunished. And I can trust him even when things are going crazy out there. And so because I trust him, I can be virtuous. I don't have to adopt evil ways in order to see God's purposes prevail. I will, and this is the second affirmation, I will do right. Let's say it together. I will do right. I trust the Lord and I will do right. So that's what he's saying. It's like, you know, yeah, you could, you could pull back. You could adopt the, the tactics of the enemy. But no, no, no. What we're going to do is we're going to trust the Lord. We're going to leave things in his hands. And then we're going to do the right thing regardless. We're going to do the right thing regardless. In Psalm 37, 1, a different psalm, it kind of sums up this thought. He says, do not fret because those of those who are evil. There are whole aspects of our society that who, whose main purpose, it seems like, is to get you to fret about evil. You know, you can't relax. You can't chill out. You can't trust the Lord. You can't enjoy life. You got to be angry and upset about this. Or if that is not this, then this, you know, fret. What are you doing? Fret. 
the psalmist says, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. Well, I'm tired of doing the right thing and, and seeing nothing happen as a result, so I'm, I'm just going to cross the line. Now, you don't fret because of those who are evil. You're not envious of those who do wrong. But what is his prescription? This is in verse 3 of Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Some of you might be familiar with a song based on this. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shall you dwell in the land. This is how I'm going to dwell in the land. I'm going to trust the Lord and I'm going to do good. I'm going to trust the Lord and I'm going to do good. Because righteousness um, exalts a nation and sin is a disgrace to any people. So what's our prescription? We, as followers of Jesus, King Jesus, the one to whom our allegiance is owed and we have declared our allegiance to, we're going to trust him. We're going to do good. We're going to do right. So what is your response when your world personally is in trouble? When you look out and it seems like all the world, the foundations are being destroyed, our response is this. I'm going to CPA it. Complain to the Lord. Tell him how you feel about it. Turn those prayers of complaint into petitions and then affirm, I'm going to trust the Lord and I'm going to do good. That's going to be my strategy for everything that's going on in the world and the world. I'm going to trust the Lord and I'm going to do the right thing. So here's my challenge for you, just for this week. Uh, you know, just like, you know, I, I hate it when speakers and pastors, because I'm an introvert, I hate it when speakers and pastors ask you to turn to your neighbor and say something or respond, but you guys did so good. I, I said, say trust the Lord, and you said trust the Lord. I said, do, uh, I'll do the right thing, you said do the right thing. So go ahead, check off Sunday, that first check mark. You, you have accomplished one-seventh of your assignment for this week. Good job. It's going to feel silly sometimes, maybe if you're watching or listening, you're all by yourself, and I'm not going to talk to myself. Yeah, just talk to yourself to say, I'm going I'm to trust the Lord, and I'm going to do good. Say it out loud. I'm going to trust the Lord, and I'm going to do good. I'm going to trust the Lord, and I'm going to do good. And say that at least once every day for the rest of this week, just as a personal reminder. This is how I respond when the world goes wrong. And then... The, the, apostle, the Apostle Paul actually summed this up in what would probably, I think this is going to be our memory verse for this series. It's a little late, but it's a good one. He, he does the CPA approach in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious. Don't fret about much. Don't fret about anything except for that thing. That's the really important thing to fret about. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and CPA, petition, with thanksgiving, look at what you've done, Lord. I can trust you for this. Present your request to God and the, you know the word, peace. The peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.
Lord, it is so good to know that we can trust you. And we just want to affirm our trust of you. We recognize that our circumstances will lie, our feelings are fickle, our understanding is going to fall short. But you are a faithful, loving, covenant-keeping shepherd and father to us. We trust you, and we trust you enough to not adopt the world's ways, but to do good regardless. May we be a people who are known not just for our going to church and claiming to be believers, but for doing, trusting you and doing the right things. May our character and our testimony, our words and our actions in every situation bring credit, glory, and honor to you. This we pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said,